0: Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today we're going to dive into John chapter number 6 and verse number 60. And we're going to work our way down to the end of the chapter at 71 today. And so what a thrill it will be to see the statement of Jesus, Does this offend you? And it's going to be priceless because we're going to have to answer that question in our heart as concerning the relationship that we truly have with Jesus. Oftentimes uh, we can find ourselves taking an offense at something that we have heard or taking offense at something that we have read as concerning the Scriptures. We may even want those Scriptures to be different or uh, to be changed, to be explained in in another way from that which is plainly written so that we don't carry such thoughts or have such offenses against God or against our Lord doesn't change the fact that the Word of God says what it says, that God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are who they are and operate the way they operate. So today when we see Jesus say this very statement, does this offend you? We're going to have to kind of take a lump on that one and consider for ourselves the offense we may be carrying as concerning the Son of God and the Word. So let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are grateful for everything you have done for us to this point in the week. We thank you, Lord, for this day. We pray that you will bless it to us, Lord, that we may receive of it and that we may grow thereby. We Thank you for this time that Jesus had devoted to his disciples and to the truth, that he would speak such a message as being the bread of life, and that in the offense of many who did not receive his word they walk away from him as we shall see but even in those lord that trusted him to be messiah even they have doubt in their heart we shall discover that today because it may be testimony to us and we pray that you will give us courage to change if we need to change strength to change what we know needs to change and the blessing of being able to walk with you again this day, in Jesus' name. Amen. Alrighty guys, we're going to dive into the reading. Beginning in verse number 60, we're going to go down to verse number 71 at the end of the chapter. And the scripture goes forward to say, Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Then Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Does this offend you? What an if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up to where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickens, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not, and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will you go away also? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that you are that Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. So back to verse number 60, as we begin our discourse today, and we see that certainly the synagogue filled at Capernaum uh, questioning Jesus as concerning the manna that the forefathers ate during their period of time in the wilderness. And of course, the the rebuttals that Jesus would give to their uh, constant questioning of him had reached a place where he, he basically told them, eat me. <laughs> That's that's how it goes down. He said, unless you eat the Son of man and drink his blood, then he he won't be in you, you won't be in him and you won't have eternal life. So uh, needless to say it was it was a great challenge to the way that of their thinking of the Hebrew thought because of course Jesus was not referring to the literal, Uh, eating of his flesh or the literal drinking of his blood all of that would have been completely against Torah law it would be against against the Levitical uh, law of the book of Leviticus it would have been against the book of Deuteronomy and that would cause Jesus to err Jesus to sin of course he's not speaking of a literal condition but these people were not hearing what Jesus had to say, regardless of what his teaching was. And so there was a little bit of shock and awe at the end of yesterday when Jesus kind of flipped the coin, as we talked about, and, and, and gave this dissertation, which, by the way, uh, the Catholic Church took to a such a literal point that still to this day, from the formation of the church back in three hundreds AD, to this day, the Eucharist is all about the transubstantiation of the bread into the literal body and of the wine into the literal blood of Christ. To be able to eat Christ and drink his blood so that they can have a part in that sacrament of merit, they can have a part in Christ, and Christ will be in them, literally. It's such a shame that they, like the Pharisees, fell for for what Jesus was actually talking about, because he does clarify himself to his disciples at this point uh, from verse 60 following. And so that it shows that when many of Of the disciples heard the the teaching of Jesus at the end of yesterday we talked about they said this is a hard saying now that phrase means that that, that this what was Jesus teaching what is what is he trying to say we just can't grasp this one now if you are like me there are several places in the Bible that that are hard sayings You've read them again and again and again. You're trying to put them in context, trying to figure out meaning to why this thing exists in this place. And, and because you're, you're digging so hard to try and figure it out, but it just isn't coming, you look to commentators, and, and some commentators are just silent on the places that you find to be very difficult. And the reason why is because they found it to be very difficult. Throughout the Bible, there are plenty of places that are what would be considered to be hard sayings, just like these guys had said. And, and as they say, who can hear it? in essence you can also say who can know it who who can figure this out this this is too difficult for for the finite and human mind to grasp now praise the lord i I rejoice in the fact that it has taken many years to settle out in my own heart this teaching that Jesus gave us concerning the bread of life for there was a time when I would read through this and I would go what in the world he's telling us to eat him but of course when, when we begin to study out the nature the, the humanity of Christ what, what we find is is that there, that Jesus is is quite um, quite a character in fact, he, he has his moments of, of compassion. He has his moments of love, of laughter, of tears, of, of a broken heart. But he also has his moments where he's just done arguing with people that won't leave him alone. And so he, he gets a, a little sarcastic in, in his explanations and understand that being sarcastic doesn't mean that you've crossed the line unto a sinful nature. One can be every bit sarcastic without lying, without being mean or anything else, in that you, you are so tired of, of answering the same question five different times as Jesus practically had to do, that he ended up shutting down the conversation with a little touch of sarcasm. And and the reality is, is that Jesus is the Word, so indeed, if you eat him, you're feasting upon, as the Scriptures would say, that you're feasting upon the riches of his Word, and you're growing stronger thereby. So the, these are the priceless moments that you you get a glimpse of the personality of Jesus and and the humanity side of God. And that's kind of really exciting. I mean, you were, after all, made in his likeness and in his own image. And so those of us who who often will be found carrying a measure of sarcasm. It isn't because of a sin nature that you have this, but because of the very nature of of God revealed in Christ, dealing with His dejectors. <laughs> and so, that's kind of cool. But now Jesus, he he's discovering from his own disciples. It's one thing when he's dealing with those that are that are apart from him, dealing with those who are in the synagogues, or the Romans, or what have you. It's one thing, he's dealing with them, but now it's gotten close to home. He's discovered the the disciples, and they're saying, what in the world is Jesus talking about? How in the world can we understand this? Or how can we put this together in our heart? Because now he's telling us that uh, eventually and ultimately we're going to have to eat him and drink his blood in order to be able to be saved, or in order to be able to be connected to God. And, and this is like, now we're following a cult? What's going on here? <laughs> you know. So in verse number 61, it, it tells us that Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it. Now, this is kind of a very important connectional scripture to the point of Jesus, the Son of God. And throughout the the Gospel of John, you're going to find this more and more, is because of the omniscience of Christ. Though he is uh, truly human, we also understand that in that humanity, he is truly God. And so he does have the omniscient or all-knowing behavior of God while trapped in that flesh, in the body of that man. And so that he is capable of being able to know in himself through the the Holy Spirit's communion with his with him in his mind that his disciples are murmuring, because keep in mind, murmuring is something that happens at looks with each other. Uh, murmuring is is rarely ever something that happens out in the open, but is done through whispers and gestures of the eyes doing doing one of those things you're you're in a a crowded room and and there's no way that your spouse is going to be able to hear you so you throw your hand up like this and all of a sudden they look over and you catch their eye and then you and then you do your head movement like this or you point or do whatever to uh, communicate with them that it's time to go and so that they would they would understand oh okay i've got to go now well, this is a is a style of murmuring. And so that we would find that it isn't communication that's actually happening out loud where you would yell over the crowd, Hey, honey, let's go! <laughs> because you didn't want to come across as being rude to the rest of the guests that would be in the, in the room, but that you wanted to get your point across because it's time to get out of there. Well, murmuring does the exact same thing. It isn't that you're going to voice your opinions because... Once you begin to voice something, and you get it out, and it's and, and it's known by the people, now it could be debated. Now it could be argued against. It could be shown to be wrong. It could be lifted up to be right as well. But because of the fear of being known, the fear of being discovered as being someone who is in disagreement with with others in the room, instead of speaking up and speaking out, you kind of slide beside your buddy and you, you grumble under your breath and you you, you murmur with them and, and you start to build a pretty good following for the amount of people that would see you and your buddy talking. They come over and say, what's going on? And you kind of look around and make sure nobody else that you don't want to hear is around you and then you begin to share your information and your buddy kind of jumps in and now you're a, a trio and then a couple of other people the next thing you know you got a, you got people surrounding you and it's all at the position of murmuring and so that when the person that that you did not want to know what was going on they come over to the group and say hey guys what's going on and, and all of a sudden the group just burst apart and says, oh nothing ain't nothing important don't worry about it that was murmuring and, and so the disciples were, were clumping together. The disciples were talking one to another and saying, what in the world is Jesus talking about? This is crazy talk. But unlike the person in the room that does not know what's being said, Jesus has got you. <laughs> He's got you figured out right now. So what Jesus knew in himself... You can't hide anything from Jesus. That his disciples murmured at it. He asked this question. Does this offend you? Now, you have to be really careful about that question. Does this offend you? The natural response by most human beings on the face of this planet would be to cover up their transgression by immediately speaking out and saying, Oh, no, no, Lord, no, it's it's nothing like that. And you've done it and I've done it, we've all had people walk up and say, I'm sorry, did I upset you? I'm sorry, did I? And and, and we've all done it. We've oh, no, don't worry about it. It was just it's, it's nothing. Don't worry about it. we we tried to cover it over, but that's not true. They upset us. If we were to be willing to be honest and say, yes, you did upset me, and this is why you upset me, then it would be a hope that reconciliation could be had. But the reason why we would say, oh no, don't worry about it, it's all good, everything, it's, it's, it's in the past anyways. The reason why we brush it under the carpet and we blow it away from us is because if we were to say, yes, I was offended and this is why I'm offended, it would then give the other person an opportunity to be able to explain themselves and we don't want an explanation that could potentially show us the error of our own offense. We want to be offended and be right in the offense. So we would never say, yes, I was offended because this, you said this and that we would give the other person an opportunity to be able to explain themselves and so much that it would make uh, a sense then then for me to have to be the one to apologize instead of them which i'm expecting anyways because i'm in, i'm offended but i'm never going to get because as soon as they ask if if they had upset you you immediately say oh no don't worry about it And this is for the purpose of covering the possibility of your error and desiring to be the one offended so that you can revel in it. That's the only reason why you would do that. So, he comes to these disciples and he says, Does this offend you? Oh, please, Christian, be very careful how you answer that question. Because to say yes is to have to face the Lord's teaching about why he said what he said. And keep in mind that he's God. <laughs> so you're going to lose that one anyway. To say no is to try and cover yourself into a lie. And remember, he's God. Do you see the issue here? There's a lot of places where... where Deep in our own heart, well, it may not even be all that deep. Just in our own heart, we might just need to repent. That we may have, we may be carrying some pretty old baggage of offenses that we have taken to the Word of God or to previous pastors or previous friends, previous teachers, previous Sunday schools, whatever previous you can fill a blank where in, in essence what they said that offended us could actually have been true about us or could have been true teachings from the Word of God, but because we didn't want to hear it or we didn't want to believe it, we got offended and we walked away. Well, we're still carrying that baggage. The Lord has not released us from that baggage, for we have not gotten it right with God or With man, so we're still carrying that baggage, and perhaps it's why you come across some some believers, and they're just some bitter old souls, and because they got all that baggage, they've never gotten it right. Because to get it right is to be released from it, and it's that baggage that defines them at this point in their life. I want to let it go. Don't be that person. Don't be that believer. Surrender to Jesus, because look what happens. Look down, uh, verse number 61, and the greatest question ever asked by Jesus, just love it, does this offend you? He doesn't allow for a response at this moment. He continues to speak. In verse number 62, he says, What, and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? Now, this is something that's going to happen. We know it happens. Over in Acts chapter number 1, in verse number 11, uh, Jesus is taken up from from before them in their sight. And as they stand there looking up into the heavens, there's an angel that said, You men of Galilee, why do you stand here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who is taken up from you, shall come in like manner as you have seen him go. So get to work. <laughs> so... Jesus is telling them, what and if you shall see, you shall see. This is a thing that is guaranteed. You're going to see this event. You shall see. The Son of Man, ascend up where He was before. In other words, Jesus, by John chapter 6, He ain't playing no games anymore. He's telling them flat out, I am the Son of God. Plain and simple. Now, He makes reference to the fact of the Son of Man, Because as he has come into this world, he has come into this world for mankind. And so, he is the firstborn among the dead. So, he is indeed the principal son of all mankind. That is exactly what he's referring to. The principal son of all mankind, or or as it would be written, son of Adam. The second Adam is what, what is recognized here but he's not from the earth, He's from heaven and he's going home to heaven. and he's going to deliver the, the earthly Adam up into heaven because he's going to pay the debt that that Adam could not pay. And that, that is all of this is priceless. Keep in mind. So Jesus goes to verse number 63 and explains this to them. It is the spirit that makes alive, that quickens with that word quicken, it means to make alive or, or revive. So it is the Spirit that revives, makes us alive. The flesh matters not, right? The Apostle Paul even quotes Jesus on this and that the flesh profits nothing, plain and simple. The flesh, what? what is the flesh? <laughs> it just, it's it's riddled with sin. It's loaded with corruption. It, it's here today. It's gone tomorrow. The flesh profits. Nothing. But, verse 63, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit. By the way, it is the spirit that revives. So it's the word of God that revives our soul. It's the word of God that makes us alive. He said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. They are that that flesh, and they are that blood. Remember in Leviticus again, seventeen, verse number eleven, that the life of the flesh is in the blood. So it's the word of God that is our life. That is that is the blood that that. that Revives us is the Word of God that is the flesh. It's the it's the Word. It's the Bible that brings us to life, that sustains us, that keeps us through the Holy Spirit that has sealed us. It's the Word of God. It has nothing to do with with trying to create through incantations uh, uh, the transubstantiation of bread into a body or or wine into uh, into literal blood has nothing to do with that trying to make a body where a body doesn't exist isn't going to get you any closer to the son of god whatsoever and again there is no scriptural connection jesus never prayed over this bread and said and to the effect of the incantation this has now become my body uh, so you can eat me, and he never prayed over this thing, an incantation that said, this has now transubstance to my blood, this wine, so that you may drink drink me like a vampire, you, you know, that's, that's insanity, but we do have at the Lord's Passover, at the Lord's Seder meal, we do have Jesus at the third cup raising the bread, breaking it, giving thanks for it, passing it among the people and saying, this is my body which is broken for you. But then he says these words, do this in remembrance of me. has absolutely nothing to do with actually eating him. It has everything to do with remembering what he did for them. And as he, he, he passes the cup, he said, this is, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for the remission of the sins of many. He's shed for you. He said, drink ye and do this in remembrance of me. It had nothing to do with the idea of that becoming literal blood that, again, would be a violation of the law of God, which Jesus cannot violate in order to be the perfect son of God to pay the price for us. And so that we find that it is in this in this remembrance that we often remember the price that had to be paid for our debt to cover us from our sin. Well, there's no question about that. Now, the reality of the Word itself is the bread that gives us strength to carry on in our remembrance. The very Word that reveals the the blood is what is perfect for us to be sustained in Christ. It does not require literal flesh or literal blood, but a belief in the Word of God as it comes to us. That's what verse number 63 is. and Then verse number 64, Jesus tells them flat out here. He says, there are some among you that do not believe. There are some among you that just don't believe this. Now, here's here's the kicker about Christ. Here's the kicker. Is that even in this message today, there are going to be some people who are completely on board with Jesus. I mean, they're just thrilled to pieces to, to be able to open the Word of God. They're just rejoicing in the things that are taught of the Word of God. And they just want more. These are they who really believe praise the lord but when when as you consider those who truly believe you you could look at at, at a church of 500 and easily find 450 that just fill the house that they have a mediocre connection to believing in, in, in Christ. More so, they, they have a connection to the church because of the things that they're doing in it or the things that they're getting from it or the things that that, that they happen to have other family members that are connected to, but they themselves really don't engage. They really don't have a fullness of belief in all of this this Jesus stuff. And, and you got to understand that the people that were closest to Jesus didn't even believe. So you think, uh, well, uh, man, I really am a believer. And you very well may be. But there are plenty of people around you who might make the same statement, but be mediocre at best, uh, as was written by, by Greg Groeschel, in his book, I, boy, I don't know how many years ago it was since I've read that book, but uh, it's it's back in the early two thousands, anyways. He wrote a book that was called "A Christian Atheist," and and this book, the premise of it is claiming that you're a Christian but living your life as though God does not exist. And the 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 reality to that comes down to this position that that. You really just don't believe in Jesus. I mean, you want to have connection to Jesus for fire insurance of not having to go to hells. You claim salvation. And you want to have a fellowship of people that are are in the church. There's a lot of parts about this that you really want, that you have a desire to have, but a true and genuine belief in Jesus is just not there. Well, one of the reasons why is because the Father hasn't drawn them I was just having a conversation about this just yesterday as concerning the, the profession of faith in which I'm guilty. I've got four professions of faith, four baptismal certificates, and uh, one or two of those was really just to to accomplish the ends, and that was a goal to be able to, to have the means to my end. But there's a couple of them where I just wanted to to feel better about myself. I just wanted to to get clean and I know that church was a place where you could kind of get clean again. This is a place where you could kind of make it right with 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 God and you know in the eventuality that you you may face death, maybe you'll be all right. And what have you? But the reality is is that in all of those occasions where where the prayer was prayed, where the scriptures were agreed upon, where the baptism took place, that was never effectual to the change of Jason whatsoever because I wasn't in it to be changed. I wasn't in it to, to, to become a child of God. I was just trying to get closer to a, a people group that would accept me after doing all of these things. It didn't really matter about God at all anyway. And so the the reality behind that is there are a lot of people who who start coming to church for just that very same reason, just looking for connection, just looking for a new direction, just, just looking for some changes to happen in their lives. And because they know they've got to become a Christian, they've got to go through the rituals, you know, the, the prayed prayer and the baptism and all of that. They they go through the motions or the steps to be able to come or to become one of us. But they're really not. And, and ultimately, like with the latest news I've seen, there are just pastor after church leader, after musician, gospel musician, or whatever they want to call themselves, that that are just falling away from the faith right now. Because they just decided that this isn't something that they cared about anymore. They're just done with it. And and this is not being drawn to Christ by the Father. For those of you who are out there who understand what I'm saying about being drawn to Christ, that could could never reject their Savior. Could never reject the faith. Could wouldn't even wouldn't even be a thought in their soul to consider the idea of rejecting uh, the, the faith and and turning away from Christ. Is that 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 just doesn't exist. And so, uh, this is one of the challenges that that many of the Armenian faith would have to uh, wrestle with, as it was because. The reality is, is that you did not decide to, to have Jesus. You didn't decide. You, you didn't choose Jesus. God chose you and drew you to himself, drew you to Christ. And the Holy Spirit opened your eyes, your ears, and your heart to Jesus' word that you, in your conviction, would cry out unto salvation, saw the work of God. You decided nothing until after God received you. Then, with a new heart, decisions began. That's here and there. Look at what Jesus is looking into your soul right now. Jesus is looking at you right now. Look at what He said there are some of you that do not believe and then verse 64 goes on and it says "For Jesus knew from the beginning so many people in church playing the fool it's just just playing the game but but God is not fooled. Jesus is not fooled. he sees those that belong to him he knows those that don't. And it says to us, for Jesus knew from the beginning, from the time that he chose his disciples, from the time. Remember, it wasn't people necessarily deciding that they were going to choose Jesus to be their rabbi. Remember, Jesus went and he found these guys and he said, follow me. He chose them. Even the one who was to betray him. Interesting. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that did not believe and who should betray him. In verse number 65, it goes down and it says, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. It is the Father who who draws a person unto Christ for the purpose of connection unto salvation, nothing else. And, and you could say, well, I just don't agree with that, Jason. I just don't believe what you're saying right now. I, I just, I don't agree. I don't believe that. I think you have the, the free will to choose whether you're going to receive Jesus or not. Okay? Okay. Now, back up from Jason. Look at the Word of God. If you have it open, the the odds of the argument coming from people is because they don't have the Bible open, neither do they they read it on a regular basis would be the challenge there. But back up from me for a moment. Open up the Bible to John chapter number 6 and verse number 65. By the way, you can read all the way up above that because most of the story that we've covered from verse number 43 down to this point is written in red. That means... Jason didn't say it. Jason didn't, didn't instruct it. Jesus did. That's important to understand. Now, Jesus just finished saying, Therefore said I unto you. In other words, I've already told you this before. Said I unto you. that No man can come unto me. This is a connection to Christ, and connectional salvation is connected the whole nine yards. This is aside from every ounce of free will you think you've got, which, by the way, I've already said, as I did yesterday, and I will right now, that I believe in the free will of man. Indeed. Because we freely choose between different clothing items, we choose between different foods, we choose between different peoples, we choose, we choose a lot of things. We have, we have a great deal of free will. The problem is, is that the entirety of the freedom of our will is captivated in the corruption of sin. And so that to come to the holiness of God is not within us. It's not something that we of our own selves as concerning any choices that we would make apart from God's working in our lives through the Holy Spirit convicting us unto Christ and and revealing unto us the holiness of God. It it is that we would ever choose the things of God to begin with, that we would ever grace the doors of, of, of a church. We're hopelessly depraved apart from God's leading us unto salvation. Because you can't change death. Only God can bring that which was dead unto life again. Not you. And the dead have no freedom to choose. And you, at one time, were dead in your trespasses and sins. But it was God who made you alive in Christ. Pretty important to remember that. So, in 65, the Scripture says, So argue with Jesus, if if you wish. Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me, except it were given unto him of my Father. Now... Huh. Many of you, like many of these guys in this moment from that time in verse 66, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. <laughs> it was just such a hard saying, and then Jesus smacked them down. And instead of conceding to the, the knowledge of Christ and repenting of this, they just said, forget this, we're, we're out of here. I'm not going to be connected to this cult. I'm not going to be connected to this craziness. And they took off. He so said, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus to the twelve. Note the fact that, hey, those other disciples, they're going to walk away, whatever. I mean, they came for the purpose of eating the bread, and, and now they're, they're, they're walking away. They never really had a connection with Jesus. But these twelve, Jesus said will you also go away? That isn't going to ha- hinder the work that Jesus was going to do any, any whatsoever. It wasn't going to hinder the building of his church or anything else. But it's a, it's a statement to ask of the weakness and the frailty of humanity, and that God would teach something that indeed for some may be very difficult to understand or, or, or receive, but in that fragility... Of mind and of heart, will you just give up? Will you quit? And of course the reality behind the giving up and the quitting is you were never really a part of Jesus, were you? So it comes down in in 67, it says that Jesus said to the twelve, will you also go away? Now here comes old spokesman Peter. Now this this is a fascinating thing about Peter. Is that Peter would have such good comments to make in connection to Christ. But whereas we pick on doubting Thomas for the fact that after the death of Jesus that he would not believe in the potential of a resurrection unless he saw it, which I would call him more of a realist. I'm pretty sure I would have a hard time believing in in somebody being resurrected from the dead also as knowing that he had had his side pierced, that his blood flowed out of his body like water as well because of the pericardial sac being swelled with fluid and carrying every ounce of blood that he had left in him with that fluid out of him so i mean i would per- i would have a pretty hard time believing that somebody that was whipped the way jesus was whipped was stabbed the way jesus was stabbed and the and the nails driven into his hands and his feet that that, that such a person could come back uh, uh, under a resurrection so we pick on doubting thomas but really thomas is just a realist and i think i'd be in his boat and I'd be in his boat when he saw Jesus because he just flat out said, my Lord, and my God, and it was on. But Peter denied him. Peter denied him before that servant at the burn barrel with those people standing around him and that Peter wouldn't even go through the gates to go into the trial. Peter stayed behind when John went through. So we find that Peter's actually doubting Peter. It's not Thomas. And so... Here comes Peter with all of his wonderful statements, just like he would say over Matthew chapter number 16. He would say, you are, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And here we find him also saying in verse number 68, then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You're the one that has the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that you are that Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, with, with a belief like that and a certainty that is revealed in the heart of a man to believe that, it's hard to accept that he turned around, turned coat, and denied him, isn't it? But now we find our own nature as Christians inside the nature of Peter. And that we just as easily could deny Jesus at points in our life where we find it more more palatable or tolerable to deny him than it is to live for him. And make no mistake, Peter wasn't alone in this venture because there were plenty of people throughout history. Abram was one where he told Sarah to say that that you're my sister so that he wouldn't get killed by Abimelech. Uh he did it again A- abraham told sarah at this point to to say it uh, isaac said the same thing to rebecca you, you know you go through the list of of events where people hid themselves in their their faith so that it could be more tolerable for them or more comfortable for them in the society that they were in we understand that it's easy enough for Peter to make those denials at the at the trial of Jesus, so that he would not be caught and captured and brought alongside of Jesus to be tried with him. He didn't want that, and that that's silly because John went right on through to be right there with Jesus, so Peter could have too, and it wouldn't have wouldn't have cost him anything. But we are just that way as believers today we believe but i think it'd come down to that roman centurion statement that a lot of us would need jesus to help us today because that roman centurion he said lord i believe help my unbelief and i think that that's the place that many of us would find ourselves today so peter's great statement where are we going to turn lord you're the one that has the words of eternal life, and we know that you are the our Messiah. We believe you are the Son of God, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? Now, 71 clarifies the point, but What would it have been like to have been those 12 standing around Jesus, even with a multitude of the disciples up and walking away? What would it have been like for those 12 to hear Jesus say, Have not I chosen you 12, and one of you is a devil? Now, it's no question that that Judas knew that he was that devil the rest of the disciples might be looking at each other wondering what in the world jesus is talking about because they never had in their heart at one in any given time to betray him that they were faithful and followers to him but you can't see what's inside of somebody you can't know the person beside you or the friends in your sunday school group or the or or the the ministers even that that are filling the pulpit or the leadership of a church you can't know People, unless they want you to know them, you you can't look inside of them to see if they be filled with the Holy Spirit or filled of a devil. You don't know. And keep in mind that the devil is revealed in Second Corinthians chapter eleven, masks himself as an angel of light, and that those who serve the devil often inside of the church will mask themselves of prophets of righteousness. They you're never going to know because you can't look inside like Jesus can, but you can be faithful to Jesus, and you can be true to the Word of God, and you can live the Word of God. Now, that'll keep the devils at bay. That's for certain. You resist them, and they will flee from you. And he says, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? Now, he makes known. He spake of Judas Iscariot. Now, the word Iscariot here, this isn't a last name. He is the son of Simon. He would have been Judah ben Shimon, is what his whole name would have been, uh, Judas, son of Simon. But this word Iscariot means betrayer. It means traitor. So when you see Judas Iscariot, it means the traitor Judas. That's what it's saying. And so Jesus spoke of the traitor Judas, who was the son of Simon, for it was, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. Powerful, powerful book, isn't it, and a chapter to boot. Father, we thank you and praise you, asking your blessing be upon us as we consider these things. Your the omniscience of the Son of God. We think about the realities of how He knows us and what He knows about us. That we wouldn't tell anybody, that we wouldn't reveal to anybody else, but that Jesus knows that it cannot be hidden from Him. And the truth behind our status as being drawn unto Christ by Thee through the Holy Spirit, Lord, we pray, that that we would ensure, make certain of our own salvation with fear and trembling. And Lord, we just pray that you will bless us in Jesus' name this day and for his sake. Amen. God bless you guys, keep you guys, and cause his face to shine upon you guys. And we shall catch up to you tomorrow for the beginning of John chapter number 7 and the Feast of Tabernacles. Y'all take care.